Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, we'll grab a Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 1016. And while you're finding your place, leadership is vital uh, to any organization. Uh, it does not matter who you are or what you are trying to accomplish. Your success will largely be determined by the quality of your leadership. And when you're in a high-stress environment or you're in a situation where things are going wrong, it's all the more important to have good leadership. In those times, we need people who are able to step up and point the way forward. And with that in mind, a letter like 1 Peter, which is written to churches who are facing the, the difficulties of persecution, would not be complete without a word of instruction to the leaders of those churches. And so this morning, Peter is going to address the leaders of the churches that he's writing to. Now, before we get started, I have to tell you that it is always awkward for me to preach on church leadership. And that's, the, uh, that's for a couple of reasons. For one, it forces me to take a fresh look at the responsibilities and the qualifications for leadership, which can sometimes be uncomfortable as I find uh, areas that need to be tightened up or improved on. And on the other hand, I think that, that when preaching on church leadership, it's simply inevitable uh, that it doesn't come across self-serving on some level, right? As we, as we talk about the authority of church leaders and the responsibility of, of church members to follow them, and so I'm your pastor and you're supposed to do what I tell you, right? It's not really my favorite, uh, but nevertheless, this is God's Word. Uh, the Holy Spirit inspired this passage uh, because it's important for me as a pastor to understand what's expected of church leadership, and it's important for you as members to understand what's expected and how to respond to church leadership. And so we're going to get into it this morning as Peter addresses the topic of church leadership. And so we're in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to pick up uh, beginning in verse 1. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Right? So last week, Peter gave some additional guidelines on how we should navigate the experience of persecution. We saw that, that we can expect and should expect to suffer to some degree as we follow Jesus in this life, but that we can endure and even rejoice in the midst of that as we keep our eyes focused on the glorious reward that has been promised to us and as we trust that God will make all things right in the end. And now as we move into chapter 5, Peter takes the opportunity to address the leadership of the churches that he's writing to. 
He says, so I exhort the elders among you. When he says, I exhort, Peter is is emphasizing an urgent responsibility uh, that these people have, which we're going to look at here in just a moment. But first, who are these elders that Peter is addressing? Well, in short, they are the spiritual leaders of these churches. If you were here when we went through our study of the book of Acts, we saw that in the beginning, the early church was led by the apostles in the city of Jerusalem. As the church continued to grow and it expanded into new areas, it became impossible for the apostles to continue giving ongoing leadership uh, to, to all of these churches indefinitely. And so as the apostles uh, moved into new areas, they handed permanent leadership over to a group of gifted and qualified men in each church who were referred to as elders. And so we saw that, that Paul established elders in every church he started. We saw that the elders of the church in Jerusalem worked together with the apostles to figure out what to do with Gentile believers at the Jerusalem council. Uh, In our study through Titus, we saw that Paul expected Titus to establish elders in every church on the island of Crete. We saw the qualifications for elders that Paul gave him for that process. So elders are the spiritual leaders of a church. That's actually a little bit simplistic because the New Testament also refers to elders as overseers, which could also be translated, if you're in the the King James tradition, as bishops. So when we went through Philippians, we saw that Paul wrote that letter to the church at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons who were there as well. And when the New Testament also refers to these leaders as shepherds, which can also be translated as pastors. And so all of these different titles refer to the same office, the same position of church leadership. Okay, Uh, When when we look at this, we see that an elder is an overseer or a bishop, and an overseer or bishop is a shepherd or a pastor, and a shepherd or pastor is an elder. And in fact, we see that reality reflected right here in our passage. Peter is addressing the elders of these churches, and he calls them to shepherd or pastor the flock of God among them, by exercising oversight. Who exercises oversight? An overseer. We saw the same thing in Paul's last words to the the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, uh, when he told those elders to, to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd or pastor the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so while we have much love for our brothers and sisters in other denominations who have distinguished between these different titles and given them different roles, uh, as Baptists, we see the New Testament using these titles interchangeably. They all refer to the same office of church leadership. Now, over time, we've come to the point where where church leaders in America are generally referred to as pastors. You don't hear a whole lot of, uh, of people refer to elders which I think is odd because the New Testament only uses pastor uh, one time in the entire New Testament in in Ephesians chapter 4. And not only have we changed from elders to pastors, but we've often changed from elders to pastor, from from plural to singular. And, And there's lots of debate as to whether those changes have been good for churches or bad for churches or whether it's neutral. Uh, But personally, if you know me, I think it's always wise to stick to the pattern that the Bible gives us and to do things uh, that way. But all of that to say, these are the people that Peter is addressing, the spiritual leaders of these various churches. 
And as he exhorts them, we see that he does so as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And so for time's sake, I just want to point out uh, that, that while Peter is an apostle, he, he puts himself on the same level as these elders here. I think it's important for these elders to recognize that Peter is not writing to them like, like a general who, who gives orders for other people while being able to sit safely away from the danger of the battlefield. I know Peter is exhorting these elders as someone who's right in the thick of the battle with them, and he calls them to fulfill their ministry in the same way that he is. And then in verse 2, we finally get to what it is that Peter is exhorting these elders to do when he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That the elders are responsible for shepherding the flock of God, pastoring them. All right, the, the work of shepherding as a metaphor for leading God's people is something that spans both the Old and the New Testaments. And so many of you probably remember that Moses and David were both shepherds before the Lord called them to lead his people at important points in history. And so uh, there's an important biblical theological theme at work here, because as the Old Testament develops, the leaders of Israel, who are identified as the shepherds of Israel, they begin to neglect their duty. Instead of using their positions of authority to serve and lead God's people, they begin to abuse those positions of authority for their own benefit. And they they allow the people to wander off into idolatry and all kinds of unrepentant sin in violation of the covenant. And so as the Lord pronounces the coming judgment of the exiles through Jeremiah and Ezekiel especially, he, he particularly condemns these leaders, these shepherds of Israel. And he promises that at one that one day he personally will shepherd his people himself. And he promises to give his people shepherds who will feed the people with knowledge and understanding. And so fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus has come as the good shepherd who has laid his life down for the sake of the sheep as he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin, to redeem us from our sin. And now he commissions elders, pastors, overseers, to provide faithful leadership over his people in the local church in fulfillment of this Old Testament promise. And on on a practical level, the the work of shepherding involves leading and feeding and protecting and caring. A shepherd leads his sheep. He knows where they need to go. He knows how they need to get there. And he takes them. He, He leads the sheep. A shepherd feeds his sheep. He makes sure that they get plenty of grass and and water to drink. Uh, A shepherd protects his sheep. There are all kinds of predators and and thieves that would seek to harm the flock. But but a shepherd protects his sheep against any potential threats. And a a shepherd cares for his sheep. When when a sheep sheep is injured or it gets sick, a pastor's job is to tend to that sheep on an individual level. And in a similar way, pastors are responsible for the very same things, leading, feeding, protecting, and caring. Pastors are are responsible for leading their sheep. They're they're responsible for knowing where God wants their church to go and leading them there. They're responsible for feeding the church through preaching and teaching the scriptures. And they're responsible for protecting the church against the dangers of, of false teaching and unchecked sin. 
And then when a particular church member is, is injured or sick, that they take the word of God and they apply it to those difficult places in life where people struggle to help heal them. So Peter reminds us here in verse 2 uh, of this responsibility, and we see that it's not a light thing. It's, it's not uh, a light responsibility. But he highlights the fact that the church is the flock of God. All right, he doesn't say, shepherd your flock. He says, shepherd God's flock. All right? And this is, I was reminded this week, and I've, I've said it before, but it's always good to be reminded that, that this is not my church. This is not my church. If, if you have repented of your sin and you are trusting in what Jesus has done to save you and you are a member of this church, you are not my people. You belong to Jesus. Jesus is the one who gave his life for the church. He has exclusive rights and ownership over the church. And my responsibility is to work for him and, and to, and to uh, lead our church to follow his plan according to his word. It has nothing to do with me. And then in the second half of verse 2, Peter expands on his instructions when he tells these elders to shepherd God's flock by exercising oversight. Now, oversight is management language. Right? So if you think about a manager at a restaurant, it's not the, the manager's job to do everything, but they are responsible for making sure that everything gets done. And they're, they're responsible to the owner of the restaurant to make sure that everything gets done in the way it's supposed to get done. In a very same way, in exercising oversight, pastors are responsible to the Lord for ensuring that the church operates the way it's supposed to. And then in the end of this first section, Peter gives three pairs of, of contrasting motivations that, that describe why elders should do what they do. And so you see, first he says that elders should serve not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. The, the motivation of compulsion implies that, that someone's doing something not, not really because they want to, but because they're, they're doing it out of a sense of obligation or they feel like they don't really have a choice. Uh, and that, I think it goes without saying, is not what you want in a pastor, right? There, there is way too much at stake in pastoral ministry for, for, for pastors to not really want to do what they're doing. Instead, Peter calls these elders to serve willingly, which is to say out of a genuine desire for the work. And secondly, he writes, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, as you read the New Testament, you, you find that, that some elders were paid by their churches and some were not. Some elders were employed full-time by the church and some elders volunteered their services freely. But either way, Peter warns here against making ministry a job. Right? He, he warns against ministry becoming a job. And I don't know about you, but I have had jobs in the past where the only reason I was doing what I was doing was because of the money. Right? When, when Rebecca and I were first married, I had three jobs. And the only reason I did that was, was because the money allowed us to pay our bills and build up our savings. Right? But, but that is not where you want to be long term, and it's certainly not what you want in a pastor. Right? Because if you're just doing a job for the money, then your heart really isn't in it. And you're probably going to do the minimum amount of work in order to be able to keep the job. Right? Instead, Peter wants pastors to fulfill their role eagerly. Right? When, you, when you love what you do, you work hard. You give it your best. 
And, and that's what Peter wants here. The idea is that if I could choose to do anything in the world, this is what I would want to do. And that's, that's who you want as your pastor. And then third, Peter says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So if you pay attention to the wider world of evangelicalism, then you're probably already aware there have been a number of recent examples of pastors who have destroyed their ministry because they are overbearing. That They're overbearing. Uh, but Peter reminds us here that pastors are not dictators. Right? They're called to be servants. Right? An another element that distinguishes us as Baptists is that we are congregationalists. We believe that the church as a whole is the final human authority who has the responsibility of making its decisions. Right? It's, it's not a pastor or, or a denominational board or anything like that. And so in line with what Peter says here, pastors uh, don't give orders, they make appeals. Right? Pastors don't command, they persuade. Right? Pastors don't control, they lead. And part of that leadership, as we see at the end of verse 3, comes down to the power of their example. In other words, pastors need to be what we want to see in our people. If pastors want their people to love, then they need to love. If we want our people to, to uh, serve, then we need to serve. If we want our people to order their lives according to God's word, then we need to order our lives according to God's word. Right, the power of example is an important factor in influencing people to follow your lead. And pastors can't afford to miss that. Right, so elders, pastors, overseers are called to lead the church by exercising authority with the right motivations. Now Peter's going to continue as we pick up again, beginning in verse 4. He says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And so as we pick up again in verse 4, Peter speaks of the reward for faithful service. Right, assuming that these elders fulfill their responsibilities properly, he writes, And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. All right, Jesus is, again, the chief shepherd. All right, local church pastors are more rightly considered under-shepherds who work for him. But when Jesus returns, Peter tells us that he will reward those who have led his church well with an unfading crown of glory. And that crown, in, in the original context, refers to the prize that was given to an Olympic champion. It was usually made out of, out of olive twigs. And as exciting as that was, those crowns eventually broke down and they deteriorated. I don't think any of them still exist today. But Jesus will give elders, faithful elders, an unfading crown of glory. And that points us to the eternal value of the reward. It is something far better than any earthly prize or award. Then in the first half of verse 5, Peter turns to address how church members are to respond to their pastors. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And it's not entirely clear what, what Peter means when he says younger. Right? It could be that these are members of the church who are younger by age and thus may have a natural tendency to resist leadership. Or these could be younger members of the church in terms of spiritual maturity, and thus it would refer uh, to everyone else within the membership. And it's, it's hard to know for sure, it may not be possible to know for sure, 
Uh, But the New Testament clearly calls all of the members of a church to follow the leadership of their pastors. And so my inclination is to think that Peter is specifically calling out younger members of the church who have a natural tendency to resist leadership. And if you've ever tried to give counsel to a young person in their 20s, you probably know exactly what I mean by that. And so Peter reminds them to be subject to the elders of the church. Now, you'll remember from our study in chapter 2 that the concept of, of being subject or submitting involves yielding to another person despite disagreeing with them. Remember, it's not submission if you agree, that's agreement. The concept of submission implies that we disagree about something, but I'm going to follow you instead of insisting on my own way. And so just as we saw that government leaders have authority over citizens and employers have, have authority in the workplace, husbands have authority in the household, so elders, pastors, overseers have authority in the church. And Peter makes it clear that pastors have legitimate God-given authority that the church should recognize and follow, which is one of the reasons that the qualifications for pastors are so important, because you don't want to give that kind of authority to a person who's not prepared to use it well. But the Lord expects churches to follow the lead of their pastors. Now, as always, as we've said uh, every time, our submission to human authority is never absolute, and our our highest allegiance is always to the Lord. And so if a pastor begins teaching things that are contrary to Scripture or or trying to lead a church in a way that, that deviates from God's Word, then the church should resist that and either correct or remove that pastor. But assuming that pastors are trying to lead and teach according to God's word, then it honors the Lord for members to follow their lead, even if they disagree on some of the details. So there are two elements to church government as we find it in the New Testament. You have the church, who as a whole has final authority for making its decisions, but then you also have pastors, elders, overseers. And so uh, the church as a whole is ultimately responsible, but 99.9% of the time, their decisions should follow the lead of their pastors, the God-ordained leadership of their pastors. And so this understanding is called elder-led congregationalism because it recognizes how the authority of the congregation works together with the authority of pastors. And so you, you might compare the life of a church to a dance. Right, for a dance to work well, one, one partner has to lead and the other partner has to follow. And so if, if pastors are domineering and, and just trying to drag their church around the floor, places they don't want to go, then that's not going to work very well. Right, but on the other hand, if, if churches refuse to follow the lead of their pastors, then that's not going to work at all. Right, but, when, but when pastors lead by example, according to God's word, and churches follow the lead of their pastors, beautiful things can happen for the kingdom. And so in the passage this morning, Peter addresses the elders of the churches he's writing to. And he calls them to shepherd their churches by exercising oversight willingly, eagerly, and by example, in light of the promised reward. And he calls the members of the churches to follow their leadership. As we've worked through the details of this passage, we've answered a number of questions. We've answered who the elders are, and we've answered what they're called to do and how they're called to do it. But I think the question that we're left with this morning is, is where? Where are the elders? 
And what I mean by that is that there is an apparent lack of leadership development in churches in America that desperately needs to be addressed. We are not identifying, training, and installing church leaders the way that we need to be. And so to give you some perspective on what I'm talking about, according to research that was conducted by the Barna Group, a well-known church research group, in 1992, the median age of pastors in America was 44. So half of, of pastors were older than 44, and half of pastors in America were younger than 44. But in 2017, which is 25 years later, that median age had risen to 54. So we're trending older. In 1992, 75% of pastors in America were aged 55 or younger. In 2017, that percentage had shrunk to 50%. Again, in other words, we are trending older. And in fact, there are more full-time pastors right now who are already eligible to retire then there are pastors under the age of 40, of which I am one of them. And and there are probably a number of reasons for why that is, but I think at least one big reason for why that is is that we are simply not raising up new pastors the way the New Testament expects us to. And the harsh reality that that the numbers uh, paint the picture of is that if that doesn't change in the near future, we're on the verge of of a serious pastor shortage because there's simply not going to be enough pastors uh, even for each church to have one. And so we can see evidence of this right here in Southeast Texas. I was talking with Jimmy Neal, uh, our associational director, and he told me that 15, over 15% of the churches right here in our local association are pastorless, and the vast majority of them have been that way from anywhere from a year and a half to two years. And some of these churches have an interim pastor, and uh, some of them just find random people to come in and preach each week. And again, there may be different reasons for that, but I think it's worth asking, why is there a leadership void? Why is there a leadership void? Where are the elders that Peter seems to expect should be in place? Or in other words, if, if this letter had been sent to the churches of Southeast Texas, then who would this particular section of the letter be directed to? To take it from a different angle, for some time now, probably at least 25 years, other countries have actually been sending missionaries to the United States because the church in America is simply not getting the job done. When it comes down to it, I think a major reason for that is that for too long, too many churches have reduced Christianity to just attending a religious service a couple of times a week instead of of cultivating a lifestyle of discipleship among its members, out of which some people would be raised up into leadership either to serve or to be sent out into other places. The the, the truth is that we need to develop more of this leadership. And I'm not talking just for our church, but for the wider church as well. We need pastors and missionaries and church planters and, and I don't know what your thought process may be, but those people don't just magically appear out of nowhere, right? They come from within the membership of local churches. So what do we do about this? Well, for starters, I think we should pray. Uh, You may remember from Luke chapter 10, as as Jesus sends out the 72 disciples to prepare the way for him by, by healing people and proclaiming the coming kingdom. And he says to them, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, raising up laborers for the kingdom of God is ultimately something that God does. But he invites us as his people to participate in the process by praying for more of them to be given to us. And of course, we need to be prepared to to recognize, train, and, and install them. Church, God has a design for us, and we need to recognize and embrace that. If the Lord places us in leadership, then we need to lead well. Or if we're a regular church member, then then we need to follow well. And in the midst of that, we need to pray that the Lord will be at work among us to make us the church that he has called us to be. And so this morning, let's, let's determine to play our particular role well, even as we pray for the Lord to raise up more workers for the harvest. Let's pray together.